are listening to the Telios Talk podcast. Our goal is to build spiritual maturity among Christians so that we would be complete in Christ. Here is your host, Wendell Martins. Thank you for joining us here on Telios Talk. Our fifth year of podcasting opened with a bang, and my studio computer had a meltdown and is no longer operational. So as we work to fund its replacement, I'll continue as we did in our first year. Big news for this year is that we have updated our YouTube channel to include all the podcasts, microcasts, and sermons from the past four years. It has been extremely popular since it started, so take a minute to look for Tellius Talk on YouTube and see what we've been doing. In the Shakespearean play Julius Caesar, Mark Antony says the evil that men do lives after them. The good is often turred with their bones. And I have often wondered about the legacy of the evil we are complicit in. Today's topic is evil that men do. It is no secret that we are capable of unspeakable horrors. Today in Canada, the fastest growing crime is human trafficking for sexual exploitation. But evil has many faces. Let's not forget about the atrocities committed by these people who demand the right to mutilate their bodies and kill their children. And behind them there are grinning faces of the sociopaths who encourage these modern-day atrocities. The evil we are capable of comes only from one place, a myopic act of selfish hatred perpetuated against oneself or others. But what motivates us to this evil? Why do we do things, say things, and pursue things which are so destructive? In the book of Esther, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, we read about the plan to exterminate the Jewish people. Haman the Agagite had been honored by King Ahasuerus with a promotion, and everyone was commanded to pay homage to him. Starting in the second half of verse 2, we read, But Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage. Then the king's servants, who were at the king's gate, said to Mordecai, Why are you violating the king's command? Well, Mordecai refused to act in this idolatrous way due to his deep conviction of faith, and it was this obstinance that enraged Haman. Skipping down to verse 5, we read of Haman's reaction to Mordecai's refusal. When Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage to him, Haman was filled with rage. So now Haman is going to do something evil, but he will draw others into his plot as to infect as many as possible. In verse 6 it continues, But he considered it beneath his dignity to kill Mordecai alone, for they had told him who the people of Mordecai were. So Haman sought to annihilate all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, who were found throughout the kingdom of Ahasuerus. Our desire for power draws evil to our fingertips. We do things that we would otherwise be loath to entertain. In a fleeting moment, even Haman knows that what he is desiring is wrong, but he makes these desires so much worse by enlarging the focus of his wrath. 
drawing the whole of the Jewish people into his destructive scheme. In a 1907 address at McGill University in Montreal, Rudyard Kipling said, Beware of overconcern for money, or position, or glory. Someday you will meet a man who cares for none of these things. Then you will know how poor you are. Perhaps these words would have been valuable in the ears of Haman, because he would have known that the act of Mordecai was indifferent to whom Haman was. It doesn't take any imagination to come up with ten atrocities that mankind has afflicted against his fellow man at any point in history. Brother against brother, nation against nation, evil goes on incessantly to its infinite end. We could draw out our point here by mentioning all the atrocities of World War II, the Cambodian Genocide, Muslim extremists in Rwanda, the Chinese Revolution, the rise of Bolsheviks and Communists in Russia, and on and on. We live in the bloodiest point in all of history, every nation in the world is slaughtering someone, and that includes children in the womb. But why do we do it? Why do we chase after power? Psalm 37, verse 16 to 17 says, Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked, for the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. What we'll find is we engage in evil knowing full well what we are doing. Very often we use our feelings as guideposts to retaliation or a display of our power. In Zechariah 7 verses 9 to 10, this command is given. Thus the Lord of hosts said, Dispense true justice and practice kindness and compassion each to his brother, and do not oppress the widow or the orphan, the stranger or the poor, and do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. When we intentionally act in a way which harms others, in what we do, what we say, or how we use our power, our acts are contrary to the will of God. Jeremiah 22.17 fleshes this out further when it says, But your eyes and your heart are intent only upon your own dishonest gain, and on shedding of innocent blood, and on practicing oppression and extortion. Now there isn't a lot of shedding of blood happening in Western culture today, but we certainly see oppression, dishonest gain, and extortion, even in our own churches. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record Jesus as saying, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Power in the church, power in believers, comes from being humble. Thomas Sowell is quoted as saying, It is hard to imagine a more stupid or more dangerous way of making decisions than by putting those decisions in the hands of people who pay no price for being wrong. There is a lot of truth in what he says. We see people making decisions all the time which affect others in evil ways, and yet we do not see them held accountable for their actions. And maybe that is what Solomon was saying when he wrote in Proverbs 18.21, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Satan does indeed tempt us constantly, telling us to live our best life now, to define my truth, and to encourage the insanity of harmful self-expression. All of these actions play out under the howling laughter of the one who truly hates us. James chapter 3 verse 16 says, For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. 
It isn't always a pursuit for power that incites men to evil. Sometimes it is our own petty selfishness. Writing to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 12.20, Paul says, For I fear that perhaps when I come, I will not find you to be what I want, and I may not be found by you to be what you want. There may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, slander, gospel, arrogance, and disorder. The churches in Galatia and Philippi are given the same warning, and Timothy is told to warn the church about its selfishness as well. Why could that be? Quite simply, selfish ambition is the impediment to peacemaking. And if we read through James chapter 3, verses 16 through chapter 4, verse 11, this is made very clear. Our selfishness also affects the nature around us. Because God gave us free will, how we use that will is reflected in his creation. In Genesis 1, 29-30, we read about the promise God made with us before we sinned. Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed that shall be food for you, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on earth which has life. I have given every green plant for food. And after his promise, God warned Adam and Eve that there was a limitation imposed on them. If they didn't follow this rule, there would be consequences. Genesis 2, verses 15 to 17 reads, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat from it, you will surely die. Nowhere in this warning did God tell man to save creation. He told him to cultivate it, to be a steward of it, and to keep it for all eternity in the manner that it was created. But that didn't happen. Man sinned and God enacted the curse on man. Genesis 3:17 to 19 records God saying, Cursed is the ground because of you. With hard labor you shall eat from it. And all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, shall grow for you. Yet you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, until you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. Is that the end of the story? No, of course not. We continue to reap the curse as we neglect the command to be stewards of creation. So how do we overcome our selfish ambition? James 4 verses 2 to 5 says that we must live in submission to God. You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, so that you may spend what you request on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God? Or do you think that the scripture says, to no purpose, he jealously desires the spirit whom he has made to dwell in us? Let's take this one step further. In Isaiah 1, verses 15 to 16, the prophet addresses our worship as a tainted offering when he writes, So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you offer many prayers, I will not be listening. Your hands are covered in blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Stop doing evil. God isn't looking at our outward expressions. He wants our hearts 
and he wants our repentance. Worship is about falling down in submission to God. But Isaiah isn't done yet. Later in Isaiah 58 verse 3, he rebukes the Israelites again, saying, They lament, Why don't you notice us when we fast? Why don't you pay attention when we humble ourselves? Look, at the same time you fast, you satisfy your selfish desires. You oppress your workers. Our selfishness and the desires of our heart are evil in the eyes of God. And those things that we do to show God how much we love Him are vain pursuits when our heart is corrupt and our desires are for worldly gain. And this brings me to the last point in the evil that men do. We pursue pleasure. Now don't get me wrong. God did create us to experience pleasure as we read in Genesis 2 verses 24. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. But we pervert his design for our pleasure. We live in a world that thrives on evil. The writer of Romans addresses this issue at its core, when in Romans 1 verses 22 to 25 he says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, of birds, four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them up to vile impurity and the lust of their hearts, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for falsehood, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. I remember one of my professors at Bible school getting us to highlight all the times in Romans where the writer says, and God gave them over. Three times this is repeated. First, to the lusts of the heart and impurity. Second, to sexual perversion. And third, to a depraved mind. Ray Steadman, in his blog, writes, we have all heard the statement, girls give sex in order to get love, boys give love in order to get sex. This is true, superficially, but what both are really after is not sex at all. They are after worship. They really want to worship and be worshipped. They really want a sense of total fulfillment, a oneness, an identity. This desire of pleasure really is a perversion of identity. All around us, people are trying to carve out their identity and they are looking for it outside of God's design. And what is the result of this? Look at how people mutilate their bodies and become involved in extreme lifestyles. This isn't a holy identity. It's a destruction of someone's purpose. In Isaiah 59, verses 1 to 8, the prophet addresses the evil that men do and the curse that is on them. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor his ear so dull that he cannot hear, but your wrongdoings have caused a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with wrongdoing, your lips have spoken deceit, your tongue mutters wickedness. No one sues righteously, and no one pleads honestly. They trust in confusion and speak lies. They conceive trouble, they give birth to disaster, they hatch vipers' eggs and weave the spider's web. The one who eats of their eggs dies, and from what is crushed, a snake breaks out. Their webs will not become clothing, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are the works of wrongdoing, and an act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they hurry to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of wrongdoing. Devastation and destruction are in their paths. 
They do not know the way of peace, and there is no justice in their tracks. They have made their paths crooked. Whoever walks in them does not know peace. How heavy does the curse lie on our shoulders, crushing us into the dust and destroying us? Proverbs 14.12 says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to destruction. But all is not lost. Galatians 3.13 says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. If we, who are evil, turn from our wickedness, the curse is lifted, and our desires become only for God. Power, Selfishness, and Pleasure Satan approached Christ on all three of these levels during his wilderness temptation. He tempted Jesus to make bread for the pleasure of eating, to worship Satan to gain the power and possession of all the world's kingdoms, and to cast himself from the temple to display the selfish command of angelic intervention. In contrast, consider the threefold disciplines of fasting, giving, and prayer which Christ addressed in Matthew 6, verses 1-18. through 18. Fasting is denying the pleasure of eating to gain the pleasure of God. Giving is denying the selfishness of riches to gain fullness from God. Prayer is denying one's own power to gain power from God. In these three spiritual disciplines, we work to accomplish a higher kingdom purpose. Let us pray. Father God, we all struggle with power and our own selfishness and those things which give us pleasure. I pray that you would open our eyes, that you would help us to search for you in all these areas, that our pleasure would come from you, that we would look to your power to fulfill us, and that we would deny our selfishness and give ourselves to you. I pray for the church who turns away from you, focusing on power, focusing on selfishness, and focusing on pleasure. I pray that you would open their eyes and that they would turn back to you. Amen. Next month, our topic is entitled, I Want Control. It seems that there is a complaint that the church is all about controlling people. Is this true, or do we have a freedom in the church that is not understood? I look forward to sharing with you again next month. Thank you for joining us for this month's episode. If you enjoy the Telios Talk podcast, please contact us on Facebook or Twitter X. Don't forget to share Telios with people you know. Our book, Six Good Questions, is a great resource for small groups, your personal library, or as a gift. Look for it on Amazon. Keep us in your prayers as we prepare our podcast every month.